welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. We are in the middle of a series on the Ten Commandments. And I want to give you a little refresher. The Ten Commandments is what is called, is, is called God's moral law. So when I say the law, you should think what? Ten Commandments, Ten commandments all right? Now when I say the law, you should also think of the word do. These are commandments that God calls each and every person he has created to do. And he promises life if you do them perfectly, personally, continually. But if you don't do them, there is death. Life or death. Life for obedience, death for disobedience. And God's law is good, right, and holy. It is a good thing. I want you to be able to say with David, as a believer, oh, how I love your law. So the law is good. Secondly, a little refresher, the law, the Ten Commandments, they, they primarily they convict us of our sin. And thirdly, they are meant to point us to Jesus, which is the aim of every single Wednesday night. See, our goal isn't to here to try to change your behavior. I don't want you to be good little boys and girls. All right, that the Pharisees were good people. They did good things, but they were far from God. I want you and the goal of Redeemer students every single Wednesday is to have heart transformation that results in a changed life. See, each and every one of you are plagued with a thing with with sin and you need a savior. You need saving. You need forgiveness. You need a new heart in order to change you from the inside out. The world says, no, you could do it on your own. You could work harder. If you just keep up, work a little bit more, God will accept some of the, most of your good and the bad he'll just ignore. No, that's not true. You need a savior. You need a life transformation. That only comes through Jesus Christ. And the Ten Commandments, they teach us specifically what the blessed life looked like. Ultimately, they point us to Jesus because Jesus is the only perfect, the only person who's ever obeyed the law perfectly. And so in the same vein, it shows us what it means to live the blessed life. To obey God and to trust in him will equal blessings in this life. But it also teaches us that those blessings and that power to obey only comes through Jesus Christ. So let's look at our text tonight. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2, and our text tonight is verse 7. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In other words, I am the God who saved you. Israel, you were in slavery for 400 years. You deserve the punishment because of your sin, but I set my love upon you, not because of anything in you, but because of my good pleasure and my will for my name's sake. I'm going to save you. 
with, a, with my mighty arm, with my outstretched arm, lead you out of slavery into the promised land, into salvation. Why? Because I love you. I've saved you. And in light of that great salvation, Israelites, believers, our verse tonight, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's our verse tonight. I've saved you, now obey me in this way. See, from the beginning of time, did you know that your, you know what the favorite, your favorite sound to hear is? Know what your favorite sound is? You might say a song, you know, Taylor Swift song or something like that. I don't know, some Disney song. But the most pleasing sound to the ear of human beings is the sound of their name. We love when people use our name and say our name. We do. Our names are, and how do we know? Because when someone messes up your name, you're pretty upset about it. (laughs) Our names are attached to who we are as people. Our identity, our character, our conduct is attached to our names. And so no one likes for their names to be used as a joke. No one likes when people use your name to degrade you or to belittle you or with emptiness or to slander you. Who likes that? And when they get our names wrong, even if they don't even mean it, we're quick to, for, to correct them. Like I always hated when I was in public school and we'd be doing the honor roll. I didn't have great grades, but I got, I got B's. So I was able to get the honor roll, I guess. So I got, I got straight B's. It's a B student, all right? Pretty cool. B's are really good for nature as well. They pollinate. Anyways, I was a B student. And the honor roll will be going around the, the school administrators. There's a thousand students in my class. A lot, so then they come up to my name and I, they're in the S's. So I know that they're moving towards my name. And then she would say it. Jonathan Steed. <laughs> Every time. My cheeks would flush. You know, I would get embarrassed. Instead. 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 You know, that's how you say it. Instead, instead, whatever. Steed? Because what's the first mind, what's the first thing that came to your mind when you heard the word steed? Exactly. So now I'm walking up on stage and people are associating me with a Clydesdale. They're associating me with a horse. It's embarrassing. They're like, wow, he must have come from a family of horse breeders or something. Steed, I wonder where that comes from. Nicknames can be fun, but they could also be degrading for people as well, right? Nicknames can be endearing, but I know that it's pretty normal for bullies to pick a nickname of their targets in order to degrade them, to make them feel empty or worthless or futile, to, to make them feel like they're less human. We hate when our names are taken in vain, and yet... When it comes to God's name, we don't really think he's going to care that much when we use his name in vain. Scripture is clear. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so tonight we're going to ask four questions of this text. First, what is this commandment about? Second, why should we obey it? Third, how do we break this command? And four, how can we obey this command? Okay, so what, why, and then two hows, okay? So what, what is this command about? What does it mean to not take the Lord's name in vain? This command is all about using God's name with reverence. Using God's name with reverence. So if the commandment says, thou shalt not, it's in the negative, take the Lord's name in vain. What it's saying is, you shall use God's name with reverence. There's a negative and a positive. John Calvin said that the Lord wills the majesty of his name to be holy and sacred to us. The command is given in the negative, like I said. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God's God's name in vain. The word vain means worthless. It means futile. It means empty. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, he who builds... It labors in vain, right? Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain, right? It's worthless. What's a man going to do? We need the Lord to watch over the city. We need the Lord to build the spiritual house. Otherwise, all the work that we're doing without the Lord is empty. It's futile. It's worthless. That's what the word vain means. So the third commandment forbids us to use God's name in any way that would degrade or treat him as worthless. It's what we're doing when we misuse his name. Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The word Lord is Yahweh. Therefore, the opposite is commanded of us which is to use God's name with reverence, just like Psalm 8.1. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, right? Singing, we're supposed to use God's name positively, bringing honor and praise. You have set your glory above the heavens. Or Psalm 99.3, let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. And when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, in Matthew 6, verse 9, What's the first thing that he tells them how they're supposed to address God? What's the first thing he says they should pray? Our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. So, this is using God's name with reverence. So what is the third commandment about? Here's a little jingle for you. Do not use the Lord's name lightly. Make sure you use it rightly. Those who fail will not go free. That's commandment number three. Got it? Do not use the Lord's name lightly. Make sure you use it rightly. Those who fail will not go free. That's commandment number three. So why should, that's the what. So why should we obey this command? Why does God command this? There's multiple reasons all throughout the Bible. But right here in the text, what's the first thing that we see? It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God. The word Lord is Yahweh, your your God, in vain. Why? What does it say? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In other words, 
Those who profane God's name will be punished severely by God. Here's another jingle for you. Men who break this command may go free from human hands, but our God will judge for sure punishment they will endure. See, you may take God's name in vain in, in, in front of other people. They won't punish you. But before God, there is punishment when we use God's name irreverently or in vain. Now, why is there such severe punishment all over a name? Because in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 10 through 16, people, a young boy, a middle schooler probably, or teenager, was put to death for blaspheming God's name while he was fighting another Israelite. The Lord put him to death for it in the Old Testament. Praise God, the new covenant is better. We have a, it's not that we serve a more gracious God. It's just a different administration, a different time. But God is nonetheless, uh, will punish severely over the, the misuse of his name. So what, we got to ask the question, why? What's so special about God's name? Well, we kind of already talked about it. Because a name, what's attached to a name is also the identity of the person. What's attached to a name is the person's character and their actions. In fact, I could prove this by saying some names and automatically you're going to think about the character of those, that person and their actions. You want to try this? What comes to your mind when you think of the name Gaston? Say it. What comes to your mind, girls? Rowdy, arrogant. Eggs. Eggs. Obnoxious. Obnoxious, arrogant, beastly. See, he's the actual beast in the story. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Animal-like, arrogant. He's, He's narcissistic. All right, what about Simba? What do you think of? What comes to your mind? Gorgeous? No, I heard mighty. Let's say Simba when he comes to reign. All right, how about that? Not not adolescent Simba. Manly, kingly, right? Fearless. That's right. So we. So okay. Now how about this? You don't have to answer these. When we think of the word Hitler or the name. What do you think of? You think of genocide. You think of tyranny. You think of the Holocaust, right? You think of, you think of evil and murder, right? So whenever you think about someone's name, attached with it is what they have done in their life and their character, right? So we have to ask the question, what is God like? We did a whole series on that. God is merciful, he's gracious, he's steadfast, he's faithful, he's eternal, he's good, he's loving. He's infinite in his love, eternal in his love, he's unchanging. And then what has God done? So that's his character, but what has he done? We just read this in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. He's the one who raises the dead to life. That's who our God is. He's the Lord. He's your Creator. He's your King. 
The point is that when you automatically think of a name, you think of their character and their works. And when God's name is used all throughout the scripture, it was a way by which people saw and experienced God's glory. One theologian said, the way we see God's glory is to hear his name. To know the name of Yahweh, the merciful and gracious God, is not merely to know something about God, but it's to know God himself. God shows himself by speaking his name. Names are precious. So why is God's punishment so severe when we misuse the name of God irreverently? It's because we are to take his character and all of his works and just to say that they're worthless. Which is not true of God. He is the king. It doesn't matter what president it is. If you were to meet the president, you're not going to be like, hey, what's up, Joey Biden? (laughs) Like when you meet him, right? You're not going to be flippant or cavalier. You're probably going to be respectful. Hello, Mr. President. Because why? There is an authority there. Just like you're not to be flippant with your mom or your dad. Or some of you, I know you are. But God is our father. We are not to use his name in vain. So that's why there's punishment with this command. So that's the what and the why. How? How do we break this command? I got five violations, five ways that junior hires, that middle schoolers, that I've heard and I've seen even in this group, that I've committed my own self. And even in studying this, I've had to repent. I've had to call upon the Lord in prayer to confess my sins. And I pray that many of you would do that tonight. First, how do we break this command? When we use God's name flippantly, when we use God's name flippantly, as in a joking way, Right? We're just joking with our buddies. We, we talk about God as if we're with our buddies. As if he's just another middle schooler and he's not the king. When we use God's name in accordance with dumb things, we violate his command. So you find out you're team one, you're like, oh, thank God. Right? We like to say that a lot. Thank God. Your teacher doesn't show up for class. Oh, thank God. Thank the Lord. Oh, Wow. You don't really mean it. You're not really, you, you're not really praising the Lord in these moments. Your package shows up. Oh, praise the Lord, my package showed up. Like maybe there might be a situation where you're actually thanking the Lord for that. But generally, we kind of just use God's name in, in everyday speech. And that would be a violation of this command. I know I've said this a while when I've seen someone make a mistake or someone do something embarrassing and I'm like, oh Lord, have mercy on them. I don't actually mean it. I'm just using it as a figure of speech, associating God's name with a joke or trivial things. And I have to admit that the way that I've talked and used, because I've done this, it's caused a lack of reverence in my own heart. And I'm sure it's caused a lack of reverence in your own heart when you come and worship on a Sunday. So when we use God's name flippantly, that's violation number one. Violation number two, 
And this one's even just as serious, but it's even a little bit more shocking when you use God's name as a curse word. When you use God's name as a curse word. None of you would ever use your mom's name or your dad's name or the, most, the person most dear to you as a curse word. What do I mean by that? Today, you might hear the occasional, oh my God, when you're scared. Someone scares you or you get excited. Oh my God, this. Oh my God, that. Or, oh God, I, I, would, I would never do that, right? It's just part of our speech. You hear people say when they get hurt or they get mad, God, D word, <laughs> right? Taking God's name in vain. He will not hold him guiltless. I've done this. Someone smashes their thumb. Jesus Christ. You've heard that. Even Kevin DeYoung in his book, as I was reading, this was super, I, I was kind of more naive and ignorant to this, but I would say geez all the time. Geez, man. What is geez short for? That's right. OMG. You might mean, oh my goodness, by that, but for most people, it's, oh my God. We need to be careful. God's name should not be used as a curse word or flippantly. Thomas Watson, he was writing in the 1600s. And the same problems that we're hearing today that I'm bringing up now were still there in the 1600s, believe it or not. He said, to bring God's name in at every turn when we are not truly thinking of him, like to say, oh God, or oh Christ, or as God shall save my soul, is to take God's name in vain. How many are guilty here, he states. Though they have God in their mouths, they have the devil in their hearts. <laughs> I read that, I was like, whoa. That is convicting. Don't you find it interesting that no one says, when they smash their thumb, Oh my Buddha! Or Confucius! Or Joseph Smith, or... Right? It's interesting that the devil has put it in the hearts of people to naturally disdain God's name. It's Jesus Christ, or it's the Christian God, right? Friends, when you hear a brother or sister in Christ take God's name in vain because they weren't thinking in the moment, you have an obligation to correct them in love. You should. I need to do this more often because I've heard it before and I have not said anything. My dad, when he would play at LA Fitness, he would play uh, LA Fitness kind of like peak, but out in Southern California. And that's where everyone played basketball. My dad would play in the afternoons, like three days a week. It was his opportunity to go and share the gospel. That was his main, one of his main ministries. He'd be sharing the gospel with people as he played basketball. And he would take guys aside after the game if they took the Lord's name in vain, even non-believers. And he would tell them, hey, hey, I care about you. And I want you to know that when you take God's name in vain, when you said this, that there is a curse for violating that. There is punishment for that. My dad would not care if they used any other colorful language, but that he would correct them on. 
because he cared about them. We should care about one another. We must not use God's name as a curse word. Three, these ones will go a little bit quicker. So when we use God's name flippantly or as a curse word or three, when we attribute something to God that he did not do. I hear this all the time, right? When you're going to make a decision and you justify it by by saying, I feel like God is leading me to do this or God told me to do this. How do you know? Show me the verse, (laughs) right? Sometimes people will attribute God's name to justify the decisions that they're doing. And we need to be careful of that because God is not sanctioning or he's not telling you to do that. And you're saying that he is. You're lying about him. We shouldn't just slap the name of God on the back of our ideas just because we feel strongly about our proposed ideas. Fourth. When we worship God with our lips, but not with our hearts, right? Proverbs twenty three twenty six says, my son, give me your heart. The Pharisees, Jesus confronted them and said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So the picture is maybe someone in the worship service who's singing about the name of God, but is doing it out of routine and knows that they're doing it out of routine. They don't mean what they're saying. Or perhaps in, in, at prayer night, they're going to sound as holy as possible using God's name in order to please other people. In all of these circumstances, we're taking God's name in vain because it's not coming from a heart that truly wants to honor and revere Him. Violation five, last one. We break this command when we break our promises when we break our promises with with people or make rash or thoughtless oaths. You've probably heard someone, no, 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 I swear on my mom's grave. No, no, I swear on my life. I swear on my brother. I swear on this. I swear on that. Well, the Pharisees used to do that because they wouldn't want to use God's name because it's so holy. They would say, when they're going to make a a promise with someone, they'll say, hey, I, I, I swear on the temple or I swear on Jerusalem, the holy city. I swear on heaven and earth that I will fulfill my obligation. But Jesus says, do not, I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot take, make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The idea is that God is the witness before Whenever we're making a promise, we're doing it before God. And when we break that promise, when we make an oath saying before God, I will do this, which God calls us to do. He tells us to make oaths too in his word. And we break those promises. We're taking God's name in vain. Vows are good when they are used to promote God's name, truth, trustworthiness, and when they are grounded in God's words. So, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Here's the question for you. You die, you're standing before the Lord, And he goes to judge you by the third command. 
Do you stand innocent or guilty? Guilty, right? We're all guilty. Because even if you're like, I've never taken God's name in vain, I'm sure that there's been opportunities that you've had to worship or praise or bring honor to God's name that you didn't do. We've all broken this command. This is what God calls sin. It's obeying God's law. And on that day of judgment, we will be judged by the law. And those who will receive eternal damnation will be those who break God's law. And that's what we deserve. And so the question then is how can we obey this law? Is there any hope for us to be saved from God's wrath? And the good news, because that was all bad news, the good news I have for every single one of you middle schoolers, the best news, and if you've been tuning me out all night so far, then tune in right now. The good news is that you do have hope. There's only one way that you could be saved from taking God's name in vain, and that is to call upon God's name by faith alone. That's the good news, that God made a way for sinners to be saved, and he promised this in the Old Testament. In Joel 2.32, he says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape punishment, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. See, this is your only hope to call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Why is God's name a means of salvation for you? What's, why is there power in the name? Because God's name is attached to his character and his works. And who is God? He is the all-powerful, sovereign, creator, redeemer, God who saves sinners. And how did he save sinners? By sending a person, the second person of the Trinity, his son, Jesus Christ, right? Who lived the perfect sinless life, who revered God's name perfectly and was falsely condemned as a blasphemer. Did you know that? Why did they nail him to the cross? Because they said that Jesus took God's name in vain. How? By claiming to be God. And in fact, he didn't just claim to be God. He proved that he was God. By taking the wrath that you and I deserved upon himself and rising again from the dead, proving he is the king of all kings. And now he sits in heaven and God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus... Every knee in heaven, or every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father. This is the good news. This is your only hope, to cling to the righteousness that is found in Jesus Christ, who he gives to you when you put your faith in him, when you trust in him, when you confess your sins. And so how are you to respond? Two ways, two responses here. For both the believer and the non-believer, what must you do in light of this sermon? Romans 10, 9 through 13. If you, confess your sin, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved from the wrath to come. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
If you don't believe in Jesus, you will be put to shame. You will be held guiltless. You will not be held guiltless. You will be found guilty on that day. But verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So call upon him. Ask for forgiveness. Say, God, be merciful to me. Save me. And then for you believers who love God, I want you to know that if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. You will not be punished severely, but you must go and repent. And how should you live in light of this good news that Jesus has died for you? Another jingle for you. Here you go. What are we to do in light of the gospel? Speak of God in holy ways. Give him reverence and give him praise. Do not curse his name or word. That's required in the third. I should say it again. Speak of God in holy ways. Give him reverence. Give him praise. Do not curse his name or word. That's required in the third. And so to close this all up, why don't we sing praise to God's name by singing the doxology? Can we do that? So praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy